finances. I had someone express, you know, it could get really old looking at what Scripture says about money for like weeks on end and only one more week of torture. Uh, But really, it's insightful. Today, I actually think you're going to be incredibly amazed, at least I was, at the detail God puts in concern for us uh, in Scripture for us to live by and how it keeps us free and His intent. He loves us so much. It's pretty cool. Uh, one of the main verses, though, that just resonates me when, when I'm ever thinking about finances, the passage that is a go-to for me is 1 Timothy six seventeen through 19. So I just want to open with this. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And to that we say, thank you, God, says in verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that's truly life. And that is my goal for you and why we're doing this series is that you may take hold of the life that's truly life. We are given the promise in Scripture that we get to experience as those who follow Jesus. Maybe you're yet to do that. That's cool. You can kick the tires, relax, take it at your own pace. But those who cross over and they say, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus, man, one of those promises is that you get life to the full. That's amazing. And why not have life that's truly life? We looked two weeks ago at the reality that we're rich. Uh, I since went online to the global rich list. Did anybody end up going and checking your income on the global rich list? See where you are. If you're just entertainment, globalrichlist.com, you go and you put your annual income in, and it'll tell you what number you are in the world. Yeah, on, the, on the wealth perspective, like, and we realized that the average person inside Bonnie Lake is like in the top 0.86% of the world if you take the median income of our community. But actually, they just updated the statistics for the median income of Bonnie Lake. So if you were here two weeks ago, we gave you like a 67,000 number annually. It's now 85,000. They updated that. Uh, The new stats came in. So we're even richer than we were the last time you looked, which is crazy. So when Scripture's talking to the rich, we might be in debt so much that we are like, I am not only zero, I'm negative zero, however much my house is negative zero. You know what I'm saying? It's It's like you feel like you are underwater below the water that's under the water. You know, it's easy to feel that way, and yet you're still rich in comparison to the rest of the world. It's pretty stretching to consider. There's so much question that comes in the area of debt, and I'll do a little bit of question answering at the end for some feedback that I've received this week, but we see uh, most of the blogs that I read this week Involving, uh, involving the subject of debt and what, like, what really should someone who believes in Scripture and follows Jesus, what should our life look like as far as debt's concerned? I would say about 90% of the blogs that I read took the Scriptures referring to uh, debt 
in the Bible out of context. And it was hard to swallow. I was, I was a little surprised that that many of them like, were stretching what the Bible actually teaches about debt. And, uh, and so today, I just want to really do the Scripture justice and, and look at the passages in context and realize that God does not call debt sin, but it is an open door to slavery according to Scripture, which Jesus came to set you free from once for all. Maybe you're unfamiliar, Galatians 1, a New Testament passage teaching says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Why, after being set free, would I surrender myself again to something that would enslave me? So debt's not sin, but it is an open door to slavery, which Jesus came to set you free from once for all. I find it interesting. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so we have these teachings that like put this really polarized expression of God and and money, but let's bring it into understanding. A healthy, healthy relationship with money is one where it serves your generosity and the purposes God has for you versus you serving money in the hopes of being generous towards the purposes of God. See, debt should serve us. We were not intended to serve debt. We were not shaped or made or created to do that. So what we, we will uncover today should give us amazing adoration for God. I mean, think about it. Of all the things in this world, I mean, we've got the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. There's all kinds of teachings in there. But God cares so much about our freedom that He would take whole sections of Scripture to teach on debt and lending. Like, that's pretty detailed. And where some might view that as restrictive, like, I can't believe God would actually tell me what I have to do with my money. You know, we might get a little upset. From the other side of that, taking more of an awe-factor approach at his instructions and how detailed they are in Scripture, like he cares enough about us to approach that subject. He doesn't want us to be enslaved. He doesn't want us to carry a heavier weight than we should. That's love. That's amazing. I'm glad God, God gives us insights not only into this but crazy stuff. And, uh, and, and we hit it all at Open Life. So I want us to jump in here to Deuteronomy 15. And this is where we'll find an actual whole section focused on debt and lending. Like it's literally in the Bible. No, you're not at a financial seminar. Like we're actually taking Scripture and reading it. And uh, there's all kinds of uh, consideration we're going to bring in. So let, let's just have some fun with this. At the beginning of Deuteronomy 15, it says this, verse 1. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. Oh, let's just pray right now. No, I just can't. Isn't that awesome? Now, God had put in place this law, this year of Jubilee. Let me catch you up to pace. And the year of Jubilee said that every seven years, all debt would be canceled. Now, here's the challenge with that. You're smart like me. 
What if somebody comes and asks you for a loan on year six? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, uh, I need 30 grand. And you're like, uh, 30, but the year of canceling debts next year. Yeah, ask me in a year. I had a conversation, one of my other hats. I'm, I'm wearing the Pastor Thad hat. Let's take that hat off. Put on the Chamber Ambassador Board hat for the city of Bonnie Lake. And I had a conversation with a business owner this week who uh, was, was starting a new business in the city and getting all their permits and everything. And they were delayed a couple months so that new laws could go in effect and make more money for the city as of January 1st. And they were they were using words that I won't share with you today about that process. And uh, they weren't very happy about it, and it cost them thousands upon thousands of dollars in delay in opening their business. And so I look at that and go, wow, I'm glad we rent a school. That was my first thought, honestly. And then I was like, you know, they're, they're paying like $7,000 for a sign and $7,000 for the drawing of the sign that's going to be, I was like, 14 grand, that's like half our annual rent for this building. But anyway, so I was pretty thankful for where we're at as Open Life. But I was sitting there thinking, there's a lot of hoops to jump through, and if I were in year six and somebody came and asked me for 30 grand, I might do what the city did to that business and say, let's wait, let's wait a couple of years and I'll give you that 30 grand because I want you to pay me back for seven years and versus one year. Doesn't that just make sense? Wouldn't we think that way? Well, people were thinking that way, and so God was approaching it. The other part of that is uh, just how awesome would it be for our debt to end every seven years? <laughs> I, I look, I read this scripture and I'm just going, wow, I've I bought my house at a very not opportune time in 2006, and that means my debt on my home would be canceled in May, because that's when we moved in. It's almost seven years ago. That would be amazing, but that's not the case, Um, not by lots of years. So anyway, here's this passage. Now you kind of understand a little bit about where it's coming from. Verse 2. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel the loan he has made to his fellow Israelite. His fellow Israelite, right? Get that. Uh, Talking of the community they live in. This is your people, your community, your city. I'm talking about your people. He shall not require payment from his fellow Israelite or brother because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your brother owes you. However, there should be no poor among you. For in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I am giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations. They will lend to many nations, right? But will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. Verse 7, if there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land, that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought, the seventh year, the year of canceling debts is near. See what I'm saying? So that you do not show ill will toward your needy brother and give him nothing. He may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you'll be found 
guilty of sin. What's the sin there before we read verse 10? The sin would not be lending. The sin would not be creating a circumstance of debt. Interesting, huh? Because if you're like me, you've read plenty about debt is sin. God's instructing how to do the whole credit and debt thing. This was radical. When I read that, I was like, oh, dear. Wow. Okay, verse 10. Give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy in your land. God's motivation is obviously to care for those who have need. His motivation is obviously to give them an opportunity to leverage the finances that exist in the land. And he's going to call those who are richly blessed to be those who are going to help carry along those who have seasons of need. So here's some points, some blanks for you to fill in to keep you connected with the talk here today. The first one is the lender has the power. It is, we do need to look at what we're getting into in this issue of debt and and all this good. And students, don't tune out because here's the deal. You're entering into debt at an earlier and earlier and earlier age. Oftentimes, you just have your parents bail you out to pay it. So I'm just saying, you know, debt exists. And uh, in fact, often when you're born, it creates a moment of debt for your family. It's hecka expensive. So here we go. I think it, it, it's incredibly appropriate that some translations would actually say here, we're reading from the New International Version translation, but there's some older transcripts that would say instead of uh, every seventh year you should uh, cancel, it would say every seventh year you should lift the debts. I love that imagery. I love the imagery because if you're in debt or you've ever been in debt, you know the weight of that. Some of you have been around for a while, and some of you have known me for a long time, and you've heard this story over and over. Bear with me for a couple moments. But I have to share where I was at when I started coming to church. And uh, I was $27,000 in debt. Here's how that worked for me. (laughs) My dad was an accountant. I did know better. I had learned better. But I also realized or thought that there was this such thing out there as free money. You know, I had my income, then I had the other money available to me, <laughs> this, this invisible money that I could just ring up and, and kind of someday pay off. I didn't realize how it gets bigger and bigger, though. And I found myself in, in a very low moment. I had a maxed out Bon Marche card. Come on, anybody. Bon Marche. I had some nice dress clothes that I got there. Anyway, so I had that, and then I had... Uh, a credit card maxed out. I had student loans. Uh, I went to the best university in the state of Washington, UW. Anyway, so no, I was just kidding. Uh, I, that's not the best. Sorry, Northwest and WSU. I don't know why you'd do that. But anyway, so there's, uh, there's some, there's Gonzaga. I'll give them some props. But anyway, there's a few out there that I'm fans of. But UW. So I was uh, at UW taking on a bunch of student debt. I actually... 
got a bad grade in a class and had to, to exit the UW after a couple of years because I lost my financial aid. But I still had all these bills, not only with my name attached to them, but that my dad had helped sign for. So I had that guilt and weight over me as well. So I had a few thousands of dollars there. And then there were these interesting uh, debts that I had that I kind of thought would just disappear. But over time, they actually exponentially compounded and got bigger to like the city of Seattle tickets. Anyway, so I uh, was not, am not that great of a driver. And uh, if you live in Bonnie Lake, you know what tickets are like. I mean, you probably got one today on the way to open life on this 25 mile. So they hide. You got to watch out. So unpaid tickets I had back then, they didn't have this whole like defer it experience that's like heaven now, but, and began, I I began to miss rent payments and bill payments, and my roommates were upset with me, and the weight of it, I'll never forget when I was in my, uh, my room, I'm sitting at this desk uh, with all my bills, and I'm just realizing I cannot pay these bills, and my roommates are on the other side of the door banging on this door that I'd locked, (laughs) and uh, in my bedroom, and they're saying, we need your rent payment now or you're out. And I remember just like crying because I didn't know where to start. I was clueless where to begin to climb out of this. I had started going to church, and I had heard them talk about like giving and stuff, but I tuned it out, honestly. And I heard this guy talk about just surrendering your finances to the Lord. I thought it sounded retarded, honestly. So I was like, why would I do this, you know? But I was, uh, it took a, a little while, and I was like, man, that might, that makes sense. Maybe I just need to live according to his economy. And I didn't even understand his economy at the time. But maybe I should live according to his economy versus mine, which Jaden did a great job of sharing with us last week. And I look at, so I just had this moment where I knelt at my bed, and I literally took all my bills, and I just said, God, help. Show me what to do. And without a shadow of a doubt, I knew the first thing I needed to do was begin to tithe. Even though I had all this debt, I was going to make a crazy decision and start to give 10% of my money to this church I was attending, Shoreline, even though I owed more than what I could even pay with all 100% of my income. And from that moment on, I wasn't stressed about finances. I didn't freak out. I, I made, it was like I had more wisdom to make choices. I made a choice that everybody makes nowadays, but I didn't want to make back then that helped my finances. I moved back in with my parents. <laughs> it was humiliating. You kidding me? It's like, okay, I'll move back. You know, it's that moment. You just feel beat down to do that. But I did it. And, uh, it, but all, God started blessing me even in, in additional income and, and new job and, and my life. I just, it was like choices came. There was relief. And I just want to tell you today, there is relief. Some of you might be in that place right now. Where you're like, and even as a, as a student, I can't imagine looking at a cell phone bill and realizing you went way over on whatever 
and it's hundreds of dollars, and the cell phone company's like, gotcha, you know, and you're like, no, how am I ever going to earn this? And th- so that stress happens so much earlier in life now. There's relief. There is relief. You're not alone. Here's some statistics for you for those statistical types in the room. The average credit card debt per household in America, 7194 So that's, that's like how much somebody's going to spend on credit this month. Because those who have credit card debt, like they're paying it off slowly if they're not making the full payment every month, that average person has $15,422 in debt. If you make the minimum payment on that, you're never going to be free, just so you know. Sorry, bad news. Here we go. Average mortgage debt, $149,782. That's the average mortgage debt. And I'm like, where do these people live? Like, I, I'm, I'm like, why do I feel like that's amount that I've gone backwards on my mortgage? I was like, anyway, uh, I'm not joking. Um, so can anybody say devaluation? So I, it's just that. You see a house sell across the street from you for half of what you paid for yours. You're just going, I, I need the weight lifted, right? That's just what happens. I, I'm not going to use any of the words that first come to mind. Only 2% of homes are actually paid off. Is that a weird stat? In America, only 2% of homes are actually owned of us move every, like, seven years. Actually, two to seven. And so, like, we're just always in some sort of a debt scenario with our home. That's crazy statistic when I saw that. This is 2012 accurate. Average student loan debt is $34,703. Unless you go to Northwest University, because they help you so much with your student. Danny, was that nice? Okay, anyway, she works for the university. Uh, so, and then, how about this one? 46% of households carry a balance on their credit cards. So they're probably in that more like 15000 area. That's a lot of weight. My friend owns Edward Jones here in town, Rochelle Plaster. And she says she sits down with people. I was sharing my content with her and just asking her about different numbers and stuff, and she'll often sit down with people and walk through a mock budget for free and, and just kind of figure out budgeting with people and help them see the extra that's leaking through their hands every month. She said the average person who comes in thinking they have nothing finds about 2000 extra dollars a month that they didn't know where it was going. I was like, um, wow. You know what I'm saying? I don't relate, but that's just, for, for her, that's an average statistic in her office. I was like, man, that is crazy. So uh, Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich will rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Makes you think twice, huh? as to whether you want to really give someone that power over you. So, second thought today, hand up versus hand out. You may have figured that out and filled it in already. Hand up versus hand out. In this Deuteronomy passage, it's very interesting what God is teaching. God is expressing two very clear things to us. Be generous. Lend 
with open hands to those in our community, but to those being lended to, he's expressing an expectation as well. You should borrow with an agreement and a plan to repay. It's not the right of the poor to be provided for. They should leverage the generosity of those God is blessing so that they can get through their circumstance. I could get lost with this thought because I just, as a, as a life practice, I'm generous. And these passages just like, that I just become like, oh, our city, this is, you know, um, and my focus for the community. But this is really the intent. This is what God was saying in Deuteronomy. And in our modern-day language, he's saying, those who just, those who live inside your city, that's who you should lend freely to. Those who call this place home, those who, this is their home, this community, lend freely, help the poor. But those who are traveling through, there was no year of jubilee for them. They just kept paying. You could lend to them, but they kept paying. So if someone local needs a hand up, give it, even if you know they can't pay it back, but at least have a plan in place to pay it back. Focus on providing for the poor in your community. God put you here for a reason. That's what he was saying to him. I'll never forget going to my, this is humiliating, but I went to my grandpa for a loan. And I was like, my grandpa's going to make me sign a contract? Absolutely, he did. Now, he did one thing that the Scripture teaches not to do. He charged me interest. But, uh, you know, I forgive him for that. I love my grandpa. So, but the Bible does say if you're lending to a relative, work out a payment plan, but don't charge him interest. I was like, I kind of like that. Uh, but anyway, uh, in the, the world we live in today, there's little comprehension of, of what it means to not have. I mean, we have access to what we would think is free money, right? When we want something, we just go get it, whether we have the money for it or not. We work with currency and we think money. Unfortunately, the places that we support and give to around the globe, missionaries, those that, uh, like we're going to serve in Indonesia, in the red light district of Surabaya, which is now the number one largest red light district. It surpassed Bangkok and Phnom Penh. They, uh, right there, they'll have kids to utilize to increase their value. Uh, and they'll traffic them. That's awful. That like wrecks my heart. I can't imagine saying, we need to have another kid so we can have a TV. And uh, they become a commodity. It's a painful reality of the world we live in today. Credit, loans, mortgages in other countries, family, children, you name it, we spend beyond what we should in our means. And it's become a free practice But debt was designed to be a momentary leverage and has become a way of life. And this is what God taught us this for us so that we wouldn't fall into its trap. When we mistake in credit for income, we're in grave danger of becoming its slave. Credit is not a handout. 
I heard this week John Maxwell, he's a leadership coach to so many in the world. He's got this voice that sounds probably close to like what God's voice sounds like. This low voice, leadership voice. And I'm listening to this podcast and he says, our world has destination disease. When we have, we think, well, someday when I have a million dollars, I'll then be generous, right? Someday when... But in actuality, God's looking for us to practice now what we would do in the future. The challenge is on us now to lend freely to the poor, even if we feel like what we have to lend isn't much. Debt is a blinder, and we think we can't give because we have debt. And like my story, uh, you can When you get to this point, your debt is dictating your generosity versus your generosity dictating how you'll pay back your debt, which is in right relationship to God. There's a huge difference between you owning your debt and your debt owning you, and you hold the power of the choice of which takes place. Next fill in, the good and bad. So let me rattle off the good and bad, the dangers of credit. So what are the dangers of credit? Well, we've, we've really heard those. Power, right? The first one's power. Someone could hold it over you as leverage and power, and that's not God's intent for His people, as we read in Scripture there, that no one would rule over us. The second is temptation. You could be tempted to live beyond your income. I think I am on a constant basis. The world we live in bombards us with the temptation. You know, zero down and, and, you know, and and we're not that good at reading the fine print. How many of you accept the terms and agreements without reading them on a constant basis? Hello. Wow, not many of you raised your hands. I congratulate you for reading those. I'm like somebody when they found that weird term and agreement on Instagram about their photos, I'm like, who found that? Like, who took the time to read that thing and make it go viral? Some of you are just going, did he just start speaking a different language? Sorry uh, for those who aren't using Instagram. But anyway, so we look at this and we go, you know, we should never spend beyond what we can actually pay back within a billing cycle. That's a good principle, right? Otherwise, interest is having its way with us (laughs) instead of us having our way with interest. It's, It's we make simple purchases. We should treat our credit card like a checkbook, not like a line of credit. That's the goal of this tool that we have in our hand. When you're paying 20% interest on a credit card and you charge something and you think you're getting a good deal because it's 20% off, you're like, 20% off? That's sweet. I'm going to save our family money. But you're carrying a balance on a credit card that's charging you 20%, and you put that item into that credit card, and now at the end of the month, it starts compounding 20% after 20% after 20 That 20% off became like add 40% after a few months. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, ah, oh, my brain. But that's a temptation for my wife. I mean, for people. Uh, when they see a sale, no, we pay our credit card off every month. But if it's on sale, man, that's like a fish hook with good bait on it for her. You know, that word, that four-letter word in our family. Um, sale. 
But we do need to keep ourselves disciplined to live within our monthly means. The third thing that is really a negative about credit, debt, lending, whatever, is slavery. And power and slavery are really two different things, but, but let's, let's look at this concept of, of slavery. I already said how literally in other nations, because of people wanting things they can't afford, they put their family members into slavery. Some of you are saying, I know people that are experiencing that in our own country. That's sad, but it's very true. It's a reality of the world we live in. When people and humans are commodities, it's not right. That's a message on justice that's coming up in a few weeks. You were saved to be set free. Debt can make you a slave again. I saw one Christian's blog say it this way, every time you enter into a lender-borrower agreement, you're actually entering into a master-slave agreement. I was like, maybe I should just remember that because it's really tempting, as you'll hear in a second, because there are some bonuses to credit. So listen to this. I think differently, so if this is over your head, ask me later. Uh, Benefits of credit. Number one, convenience and security. Obviously, if you're traveling uh, by using a credit card like a check, using it like a check, you're safer off for not carrying large sums of cash with you, right? Uh, It's it's just, that makes a no-brainer is to have this form of money with you. Something... uh, Sometimes you even get bonuses for using that versus cash. We get travel miles with our credit card. That's a bonus. I don't know. What's in your wallet? I had to say that when you're talking. Okay, never mind. Uh, What's in your wallet? Maybe that'll help. Um, Number two, uh, benefit, leverage. I've used the word multiple times already today, but it allows you to pace your expenditure over time in actually win this game of interest that is played in our world today. Uh, The company is hoping you miss your payment when they give you 0% interest over 90 days. See, because on 91, day 91, if you didn't pay them, they're going to go back to day one and charge you interest that whole time. I quit a job because I was being encouraged to encourage people to do this, knowing looking at their income, there's no way they would ever be able to pay it back. I'm going, you're going to, I worked at a, a furniture store, and I was their top salesperson, and the thing that bothered me was how many people were taking out these loans, and I saw their income. I could punch the numbers. They're never going to pay this off. It's going to, this piece of furniture is going to cost them exponentially more than it should. That bothered me. The credit is supposed to serve you if you treat it rightly, but if it's your temptation, it's like alcohol to an alcoholic, right? You're just going to use it and use it and use it and realize after a while, I should have never done this. And the benefits do not outweigh the slavery. You should just not use credit if it's your temptation to spend more than you should. You should use an envelope system or something. Discipline yourself to not use it. 
if it's your temptation to spend beyond your monthly means. How about uh, increase? Here's, here's the one. The benefits of credit increase. When you, let's say you're going to buy a car for $10,000, and you have the opportunity to do that at 3% interest over the course of however many years, you can, if you have that $10,000 in your bank, potentially make more interest than 3% off that $10,000. And so some would say, I'm going to live cashless. Or I'm going to live on a cash budget. I'm going to live creditless. I'm just going to pay cash for everything. And they pay cash for that car. They gave that car dealership $10,000 to invest and use and get however much percent from their bank they're going to get for it. When I could have invested that $10,000 over the course of the life of that loan, maybe gotten 6%, and over the course of three years, I gain $1,000. That's a risky game. If you don't understand it, don't play it. But for those of us who understand and have the discipline of systems in our finances, you can actually raise and grow money off of the there's increase possible with credit. I say it's a game, but really, you know what it's like? It's the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents in Scripture is one where people are given seed and some plant, or people are given money and some multiply it and some bury it and don't spend it. Well, oftentimes, if if you're just paying cash, you're the person who buries it. But if you're able to understand credit and have the discipline to utilize it in your favor versus the creditor's favor, then you can actually multiply the money that you have access to and utilize that to be generous. It's a concept that maybe over your head, set up an appointment with somebody who understands money like Edward Jones or someone who could give you free advice and move forward in that world. Um, So to say credit is bad, that debt is bad, is actually not right. It's not wise. It's not scriptural. There are aspects of credit that we're actually taught how to do. And so we need to be careful to put absolutes like that out there for people and, and take the stance of, well, credit is of the devil. You know, it's like, okay, water boy, let's think about that. Uh, because that's just not what the text shows us. A wrong relationship with debt, though, can hinder our ability to actually pursue the mission of God. We must find the balance be disciplined in both, and and then God will allow us in both prosperous times and times of want to walk faithfully and open-handed. That's His desire for us. If we can't be open-handed, something is wrong in our relationship with finances and debt. So in conclusion, a couple quick answers to questions. I have a couple minutes left here to answer them. Uh, Should I pay off my debt before I begin to tithe? So I zapped out uh, a topic on a platform called The City, which we'll introduce to you in a second. This week, I, I tossed this question out, and uh, uh, I got a couple replies back, and so these are the answers to those replies. Uh, should I pay off my debt before I begin to tithe? I feel, uh, and, and when you look in Scripture, the premise of robbing God by not tithing is very strong in Scripture. 
that we should give him the first fruits of all of our income. So I would say, should we pay off our debt before we tithe? If you're not making any income, yes, although that will be hard. But if you're making income, you should tithe, period. You can't pay off your debt without tithing because the command is give the first 10% of your income to God, to the church. Then come up with a budgetary plan to pay off your debt. So really, can you pay, should you pay your debt instead of tithe? No, if you have income. Does that make sense? If you are having income, tithe and pay off debt. It's both and, not either or. I uh, hope that was clear. It confused me there for a second. Here we go. Second question. What do I do if my lifestyle causes me to go into deeper debt? Get help. <laughs> I mean, get counseling. How do I make the hard decisions necessary? Sit across the table from someone who has, has a non-biased opinion of your finances that can just take a look at the facts in front of you and tell you the hard truth of what decisions to make. That's why we have someone on our board at Open Life that doesn't attend Open Life. So if there's ever a weird issue at Open Life, they can like take an unbiased perspective of, dude, I know you love them and their family, but that's wrong. You need to deal with it. And it's like, okay, that's healthy, right? Get someone from the outside of your world and uh, utilize them to help you make an, uh, right choices in your finances. We must show our allegiance to surrendering to God and, and his, his law. You know, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you, right? So let's say, God, help, and someone else around me, help. I need it. And the first action of obedience is tithing. Then you get that 90% in order. Work up a budget. You know, Romans 13, 8 says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continued debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. That's a great way to live. And we need to pursue that. We need to strive to be that group of people in life. Practically, you should do a budget and get yourself a plan and stick to it. What's truly important to you? And do your finances align with your personal mission and vision in life? That's the question we have to look at. Change your budget to fund your passions. Hope that helped your understanding. For some of you, that might have just whet your appetite. You'll have more dialogue. You'll have more questions. Next week, we will talk about the subject of savings. It'll be our last talk in this series of Strapped, but some of you have actually had this challenge. I know we do at Open Life have this challenge at times. What if you have too much money in savings and somebody asks you something, but you have a plan for that money, how do you distribute it? And are there times that you should distribute it differently than you originally planned? So what if, how much is too much to save? And then we're going to have some Q&A that we'll be gathering during this week that we'll do. So your action steps on the bottom of your handout, or back of your handout, actually, on the back of your handout, surrender your finances to God if you've never done it. First, if I were you, I'd surrender your life to Jesus. That'd be awesome. Choose to follow him. We'll pray here in a moment. And I would suggest you do that. God sent him so that we could be free. And one of the biggest areas of slavery is our finances. You can be set free by choosing to follow Jesus and growing in a relationship with him. That's why open life exists. 
but surrender your finances to God. Take the 90-day tithe challenge. Ask one of us about it. It just basically means you're going to write on your envelope, hey, here's the first time I've ever given. This is crazy, and I'm going to take this challenge for 90 days. At the end of 90 days, if you feel like God didn't come through in your life in providing for you and you didn't see a difference, we'll refund it, everything you've given. It's just God proves himself true every time. Do a budget. Come back next week. Those are your action steps. So let's pray. God, thank you for those who made it today. Uh, This is really just a truthful, like, God-to-us talk on lending and debt and credit, and it's kind of crazy. But I love your heart in the midst of it. Your goal is that we're open-handed and generous and that we're in a position to not think twice, but to just be consistently generous. And that our community, this city would be better off because there's a group of people living in right relationship with their finances. We'd be able to provide for the poor and the needy and that, that they would have a consistent go-to place that loves them unconditionally. And the only reason we're that way is because you love us unconditionally. You sent your son to take our place, to take the sin of the world upon his shoulders so that we could live in right relationship with you, free from any form of slavery. So if anyone's here today and they've never made that decision to follow you, I pray that they would do it right now in their heart, maybe even under their breath out loud, they would say, Jesus, come into my life. I, I want to follow you. I want to grow in a relationship with you and experience this freedom and the lifting of the weight that I'm experiencing in life right now. And God, as they start to grow in that new relationship with you, I pray that their life would be evidently transformed for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.